we're all familiar with the major national events that happened during Ireland's revolutionary period. There's the 1916 Rising, followed by the War of Independence. Then there's the Treaty, followed by the Civil War. But alongside these major events and all the big names, there's the grassroots movement and the local leaders who were dedicated to bringing fair communities into the new Ireland. One such leader was Frank Lawless from Fingal in North County Dublin. Hi, my name is Dr Declan Brady. I'm a local historian and genealogist. We are in the old Rollestown Cemetery where Frank Lawless is buried. Uh, Frank Lawless died in an accident, uh, a fall from a trap, horse and trap, in April of 1922. And his funeral was attended by Eamon de Valera, Cahill Brewer, Harry Boland, Michael Collins, William T. Cosgrave, Arthur Griffith and Richard Mulcahy, who all stood beside each other and later faced each other in the Civil War. And two of those, Griffith and Collins, would find themselves dead within a matter of months. The timing of Frank Lawless's funeral is remarkable. The treaty was ratified by the Dáil in January 1922. From there, relations between the pro-treaty and anti-treaty sides get worse and worse. On the 14th of April, just two days before Frank Lawless's accident, anti-treaty soldiers occupy the four courts in Dublin. This is a direct and provocative challenge to the authority of the government. But here's the most remarkable thing. Just four days after the occupation of the four courts, both pro-treaty and anti-treaty leaders put aside their differences for a couple of hours to attend Frank Lawless's funeral. They even stand together for a photograph at the graveside. And this is the last known photograph of all those big names standing together at the same time. So who was this man that brought them all together for those few hours? Frank Lawless, TD, from Fingal in North County, Dublin. I'm Dermot Ferreter, Professor of Modern Irish History at UCD. April 1922 was a very fraught month. It's important for us to remember that there were attempts to try and keep both sides of the treaty divide talking. The treaty vote itself had come in on the 7th of January and it was a close vote between the pro and the anti-treaty sides. Um, 64 votes in favour, 57 votes against. So de Valera and the anti-treatyites had lost the political argument and there were obvious implications for politics, but also for military. What did it mean for the IRA? And what we're getting in the first few months of 1922 are desperate attempts to try and bring both sides together, to try and keep the door open. So all of those feelings, those thoughts are swirling around. And what really complicates things in the middle of April 1922 was the occupation of the four courts by the anti-treaty IRA, who were becoming more and more defiant and trenchant. And the rhetoric is intensifying. So that heightens the tension. The lawless funeral comes in the middle of all of that. And I was hoping you could read his gravestone. I can, in loving memory of Frank Lawless, who died 16th of April, 1922, aged 51 years. Frank Joseph Lawless was born on the 10th of October, 1870, into a family steeped in nationalist politics. His grandfather was involved in the anti-tithe movement. His father was involved in the County Dublin Tenants Defence Association. 
and all of this provided Frank with his early political education. He went on to become involved in all of the major nationalist movements of the time. He was a member of the IRB, a supporter of the Gaelic League and the GAA. Frank Lawless and Frank Lawless's life is one of the evolution and the journey to Irish independence. From my research on Frank's life, he was the prominent politician in that journey from home rule, from parliamentarianism to Irish independence. In 1906, he actually said himself that at a meeting inaugurating Sinn Féin in Swords, one of the first clubs in North County Dublin, he said that he had been a member of the Land League, he had been a member of the United Irish League, but since the death of Parnell, every year that passed had been a year further away from him trusting parliamentarianism as being able to deliver the goals of Irish nationalism. And he's, he's moving in significant circles. So his connections and his uh, networks would have been important. During the 1916 Rising, Frank was quartermaster and second in command of the Fingal Battalion of the Irish Volunteers. After the surrender, Frank was court-martialed and sentenced to death. But the sentence was commuted to 10 years in prison. Frank was eventually released in 1917 as part of the general amnesty, but he immediately returned to Republican activity. He was arrested again in 1918 and ended up spending most of the War of Independence in British prisons. Despite his frequent stints in prison, Frank still had considerable influence in the independence movement. His prominence in the War of Independence would have been limited by his reputation as a member of Sinn Féin and a reputation as a politician. So his military career would have been limited, but his political career is what marks him out as one of the leaders of the independence movement. In fact, in 1918, Sinn Féin had what we could really call a shadow government, a government in waiting, and he was agriculture spokesman. Also, after the Doyle Aaron uh, Department of Local Government was set up under William Cosgrave, he was one of the earliest advisers, but he was a very important politician, not alone in North County Dublin, but on the national stage. And I think that was borne out by who attended his funeral here in April of 1922. On the 16th of April, 1922, Frank Lawless died in an accident. He had been travelling with his son Colm by horse and trap when the horse took fright and overturned the trap. Colm wasn't harmed, but Frank suffered catastrophic head injuries. He died later that evening. Two days later, Frank's funeral was held in the pro-cathedral in Dublin. His coffin was accompanied by five battalions of the IRA and a parade of 100 civic guards. Three volleys were fired over his grave and a photographer captured the now famous image of the pro-treaty and anti-treaty leaders, former friends and former comrades, standing together for the final time. Oh, well, you can appreciate the tension that would have been there in that gathering around the graveside. And there's decorum and there's respect for the dead and there's the sorrow and the sadness that comes with what had been a tragic accident. But there's also, obviously, great interpersonal tension. 
And as the mourners walk away from the grave, we are once again reminded of the timing of this event and perhaps the missed opportunity for peace. So the, the Lord Mayor, Lawrence O'Neill, spoke at a special meeting of Dublin Corporation on the 22nd of April, 1922. So this is a few days after the funeral of Lawless, because they were passing a vote of sympathy. And what Lawrence O'Neill, as Lord Mayor, said on that occasion was that he saw around him so many of the leaders of the people, he felt a joyful hope that over the grave of Frank Lawless, they would once more unite for the welfare of Ireland. Now, that's very poetic, but it's also hopelessly delusional. And I mean, I, it's important to recognise that Lawrence O'Neill saw himself very much as an honest broker, attempting to bring the two sides together. And in fairness to him, he was very active in relation to that. And like so many, he was desperate to prevent conflict. And they're very sincere and they're very afraid. He feels there is a civic duty to try and prevent Dublin becoming once again a battleground. But there's also an element of delusion there. Is it really the situation that you can look at the grave of Frank Lawless at that time, at that gathering, at that funeral, and think that that might be the glue that will gel both sides together, that they will begin to come to their senses or come to the realisation that we cannot go down this dangerous path? It's a noble aspiration, but it is really highly unlikely, if not delusional. And when it comes to the major offence and the big names of Irish history, we all know what happens next. By the summer of 1922, civil war is in full flight, and by August, Michael Collins and Arthur Griffith have died. But what happens next in the Frank Lawless story? Well, at a very practical level, Frank's death places a huge financial strain on his family. His wife Catherine is left to run the farm and to care for their nine children. And in many ways, this is the story of the Irish Revolution. It couldn't have happened without people like Frank Lawless. In every town and village in Ireland, there were men and women who provided the energy, leadership and local organisation to turn the dream of Irish independence into a reality. Of some of the tributes that were paid to Frank Lawless, one was from Dr Richard Hayes, who had been the medical officer with the Irish Volunteers uh, in Fingal. And he summed up Frank Lawless as he was very lovable, very chivalrous, very true. And in the tragic divisions of these latter months, while he took the side he thought best for Ireland, he never showed a trace of bitterness always attributing to those on the other side the highest and the purest motives. Little wonder that all his old comrades, forgetful of passing differences, gathered around his open grave in Colossary, where he sleeps his last sleep. President Griffith speaks a few fitting words of praise of this dead Irish soldier, whose whole life was a valiant battle for Irish ideals, and so we leave him here, in the heart of Old Fingal, where he worked and where he fought for Ireland. I think that really sums up what I've been saying about Frank's life. Everything he did politically, everything he did locally, was to get that independence for Ireland, but also to ensure that those around him could live a better life. And I think the words are most appropriate standing here today at his grave because it's a very, very simple, sincere and honest appreciation of a man who 
gave his life for Ireland.